Welcome to Vital Life Connection with Oren Rudolph. Discovering in Christ to love the life we live and learning how to live a life of love. Well, welcome back to Vital Life Connection. And I am talking to Chad Burnett. And we spoke a little bit about Chad and his wife heading to the hospital after many weeks and months of pain in his back. And suddenly something really switched, a, something changed. And where Chad, the pain had increased, actually numbness had started to develop within his legs. And so that finally spurred Chad onto the hospital, to the walk-in clinic, and then finally to the hospital to get an MRI that lasted two hours and not the most comfortable thing in the world. But now he's and his wife are spending the night in the hospital in a room and 3 a.m. the doctor walks in. And for those of you who hadn't listened to this interview, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first part of this interview because I think it will do the same to what it did to me when I heard it. It took my breath away because I think what Chad and his wife at that point in time were facing is one of the worst nightmares that anybody can face. So I'm going to hand back over to Chad. I'm going to pick up where the doctor has given him the diagnosis, kind of a diagnosis because he hasn't given 100% clarity yet, but it's pretty much turned and walked out of the room at three in the morning, leaving, I'm sure, you and your wife stunned on a, on a hospital bed. Well, I'll let you tell the rest of the story, Chad. Okay, so here we are. It's, you know, just a little bit past three. The doctors walked out of the room. You know, I'm, I'm just laying there shaking. I mean, that's, that's not news that you expect to hear. Um, nobody, nobody wants to hear the news of cancer. But at this point, I'm 35 years old. Hmm. I'm 35 years old. I have a young daughter, a loving wife, a good job. And I'm thinking to myself, cancer? Like, that's, that's so unexpected. This, this came out of nowhere. I had, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was a fitness guru or a health nut, but I, I don't live an unhealthy lifestyle. I drink very moderately. I don't smoke. I don't do anything else. I mm. eat a lot of chicken breast and grilled salmon and almonds and all the things they tell you to do. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, how could this happen? And then I look over at my wife and, and I just see the tears. Mm. And I, I can't, at that point, I can't even imagine what she's processing. Mm. You know, she heard, she heard the word cancer and I don't know that she heard anything else. Mm. I think she heard that, and at that point, her brain just just froze. Well, um, just putting it into perspective, not only are you young, 36 years old, or 35, you know, your age at that time, but you've got an eight-year-old daughter that I'm sure in your mind, you'd have dreams of spending, you know, watching her grow up, watching her go to a, her graduation, marriage, all those things, and your wife also, I'm sure, had those images of the two of you spending happily ever after together. And cancer was never in those plans. And <laughs> cancer that when, I mean, I'm just listening to the diagnosis, not even before he even tells me that it's cancer or not, 
and the way he was telling you about, oh, yeah, you'll start at the spine, we'll then move down to the lower back, and oh, by the way, there's a huge growth in front of your chest as well, and it spots yeah. throughout your body. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a cancer that's just going to go away with, you know, wishful thinking. It sounds almost, now I'm not a doctor, but that sounds like stage three or stage four already, the way that he was explaining it. It, it wasn't very diplomatic, was it? No, no. His bedside manner could use a little bit of a, a little bit of a touch. <laughs> but no, my, my mind went there. You know, whenever whenever I heard that, you know, we we knew kind of with what he was saying that yes, you know, an oncologist coming the next morning that we were looking at a cancer diagnosis, and whenever they say it's everywhere, you know, your your brain goes, okay, you know, this is this is it. <laughs> you know, my my grandmother, she had breast cancer. Uh -huh. um, my wife's grandmother, she, she died from breast cancer. And, you know, this is something that, that we've had a history with that it's not, it hasn't been a very good history. And thinking that, you know, this is, this is everywhere, that it's in my bone marrow at this point. At that point, you know, they say nobody knows the date or time, right? Nobody knows when it's going to happen. But whenever a doctor comes in and gives you that news, you get a peak, you know? And you, you see that expiration date right in front of you. And it's very real. And it's very tangible. And it's something that you feel all the way through you of, okay, the doctor's going to be here tomorrow. And what's he going to tell me? Is he going to tell me six weeks? Right. Is he going to tell me six months? What, what kind of news? That all of a sudden, that worst case scenario got pushed so much further down the line, it was beyond anything you could imagine. And the best case scenario, the best case scenario seemed so small. You know, what, what is the best case scenario at this point? So there was a lot of crying immediately. I mean, we, we held each other. There were a lot of tears. We said some things we'd been holding back. We said things we'd wanted to, you know, say further, further down the line. Just we had to get it all out. We had to, at that point, be 100% in the moment and 100% with each other. Mm. And it wasn't easy. And then we realized, you know, that this – this world was bigger than just the two of us, that this was news that I was going to have to share with everyone. I was going to have to have this conversation with my family, with my friends, with my, my coworkers, my boss. You know, Brittany was going to have to call her family and, and talk to them. And this is something that, you know, this was, this was something we couldn't hide. This was, we had to be very upfront about this, but we need to make sure that people were prepared. And that's, uh, that's not a situation that you ever really think you're going to find yourself in but in that moment that was that was the reality right so i was here and i've you know had the i would say i mean i guess you can call it the privilege to be with people on their last moments um as a a pastor um you know saying goodbye to them and you hear people always on their deathbeds talking about the very thoughts of they're not thinking about how much more time should I spend at the office? How much more time should I spend with, you know, fishing or doing the stuff? But in those moments, be it your deathbed or in a situation where there's a little death taking place when it comes to those kind of diagnosis, you had mentioned that you guys had to be really present. You had to be with one another right there and then. And I'm sure at that time, your thoughts weren't thinking about, man, I'm going to miss work on Friday, or I'm going to not <laughs> go into the office, or I'm not going to. All those things that seem so important in life, 
suddenly I'm sure for you took on a whole different perspective, a whole different meaning. Would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, matter of fact, that, <laughs> that was one of the conversations we had. The reality was at this point that we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to come next, but you know, I made that promise. No matter, no matter what the odds were, no matter how grim the situation was, I was going to give everything I had to fight. I was not going to give up. I would do whatever it took. I wouldn't slow down and I would give everything I could to be with her and to be with Sophia. And if I lost my job, so be it. If I lost the house, who cares? If we lost everything, that's fine. We started with nothing. We could go back to nothing as long as we had each other and we would be fine. The thoughts of anything else was that completely left my mind. It was all about my family. And that's so, you know, the important, another important point here, and I'm loving these little things that are, these little gems that are coming out as you're speaking here. So not only perspective changes of what is important to you, but then there was something else that you had also said there where you made a choice right there and then and that I'm going to fight this. I'm not going to just allow it to take me. You know, there's that choice that you have. Now, I'm sure that anybody facing similar positions, be it in your health or be it in any other areas where things are really getting bad, wouldn't you agree that the start towards success or at least the launch towards at least giving yourself a chance is the choice that you're going to say to yourself, I am not going to take this lying down. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to put my face to the, to the, to the, to the sun and I'm going to push through towards the end, no matter what happens, because suddenly I'm seeing what is important to me. And if I want that, what's important to me, I'm going to have to fight. That's true. And, and actually, let me go ahead and jump a little bit ahead in this story because right. it's, it's later on, about two weeks after this, I'm, I'm in the doctor's office and we're discussing a treatment plan and what needs to be done. And the doctor's in there with me and he, he lays out what the plan is. And my response is, when can we start? Can we start this now? You know, what, what do I need to do? And he was happy with that response. And the doctor at that point told me a lot of people, whenever they hear their treatment plan, they say, well, you know, let me, let me go home and think about that. What are you going to think about? <laughs> what, what this, it's, it's this option or no option. There is no thought, you know? And again, it's that mental thing that we don't want to actualize what's happening to us. Right. That we want to just kick it a little bit further down the road, just so we have that comfort of, of living in the past where this didn't happen and we don't have this ahead of us. It's really embracing the moment right. and saying, this is what I need to do now that allows us to push forward to move ahead. Yeah, we're strange creatures, aren't we? Uh, you know, as long as it's, we can push it aside or don't think about it, and especially men, I, you know, I say to married couples all the time, men can have their little nothing box. They can... They can put stuff in this box and push it aside and not think about it and think about other things. But in situations like this or with, you know, heavy financial issues or whatever other problems that you are facing out there, putting it or hiding it, or like we say, putting your head in the sand ain't going to make this disappear. And the quicker you, you, the quicker you deal with the issue, the quicker you, 
you uh, settle it in your heart that this is real and this is, this is something that you aren't going to just push aside the better for you. No, and that's right. I mean, we, we go, we look in the refrigerator and we think, oh, the milk's almost out of date. I'll get milk next time. We don't think about it. Then eventually yeah. open the fridge and the milk's expired. What have we lost? You know, we don't put milk in our coffee that morning. That's, that's fine. But our health, you don't get a do-over. You don't, no. get, you don't get a second chance to make this right. You don't get a second opportunity to kick this down the road and try again later. Yes. If, you don't, if you don't take care of it in the moment, that could be it. That's, that's the one opportunity to make the most of it. So you two are three in the morning. You're crying. You've, you're in, you're in, a, in the moment. New perspective on life, really. Yeah. You've decided to fight this, or at least you told her. Now, I'm guessing that there wasn't a lot more sleep that happened that night. If I'm not mistaken, so so what happened after that? So you you guys are sitting there. Did you decide to call your parents? Uh, where was your daughter at this time? Where was Sophia? So because we had planned on going to the walk-in clinic, uh, my parents, they live about 30, 45 minutes away. Um, they had her at that point. So we knew we had to make the phone calls. Mm. So I started calling you know, my family sort of calling my acquaintances, um, people that people that I needed to lean on at that point. Right. And I, I started reaching out. Some people I hadn't even talked to in, in quite some time. I'm just like, hey, I need I need to call this person now. This person's always been here for me. I need to I need to make that connection because I need I need the strength they provide. So I started making those phone calls and Isn't it sad that we only reach out to people when there's a dire need and there's so there's so much power in understanding that no no man's an island and that we're a community, and even in the smaller things in life that we're facing, we should really be leaning on people more and le- allowing them to lean on us more. Except I- instead of just when those times come, but uh, you know, so many other people isolate themselves during these times, and it's so good to hear that you were reaching out, you were looking for that. I, I guess that network of support. No, what, what you said is right. A lot of people do isolate themselves. Whenever you have something like this, depression is like a blanket. You know, you cover yourself in it and it's, it's smothering you, but you're alone, you're by yourself, you're not a burden to anybody. And a lot of people really, they cling to that. They cling to that isolation. They cling to those negative thoughts and allow themselves to fall in there um, because I don't know, maybe it's easier. There is some, something comforting about it. I'm guessing but, they're feeling afraid that when they got all these people, these people will keep reminding them of what they have and which is a good thing because they need to fight this thing and not push it aside. But when there are people around them that you can't push it aside because they are right there reminding you every day, you've got a battle to fight. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it really is, it is your support network that makes all the difference. Um, and that support network doesn't have to be a lot of people. It could be just one or two people, as long as it's one or two good people that really, really have your back yes. and are, are really there to support you. How did your parents handle this? Her parents, your parents? Sure, this is early morning when the phone, I mean, nobody loves those early morning phone calls because you uh, yeah. know something's wrong. I think, I think the phone calls for us, we started making them about 4 a.m. And they went on from about, I don't know, 4 to 7. So there were a lot of phone calls to make. 
And every time the phone rang and somebody answered, they always started the same way. They go, what's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) People do. People knew, you know, there's, there's no reason that you're calling at 4am on what's now a Sunday morning, unless, unless there's something wrong. And whenever I called my parents, you know, my, my dad answered and I said, Hey, let's both of you need to wake up and I need to put me on speakerphone because I need to talk to both of you. And they got on there like, okay, what is it? And you know, I walked them, I walked them through the story. And you could hear the change, you know, you could hear their reaction and I knew what was going through their minds. Right. And at that point I knew that they had, you know, they had grief, that they had this fear. They had all the feelings that I was going through, but you know, I, I turned the conversation. What I told them is that, you know, we don't know what's, what's going to happen next, but the only thing that I needed from them with, that they would promise me if something did happen to me, that they would take care of Brittany and Sophia. Because if something were to happen to me, what they would go through, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't even begin to imagine. And they would need a support network. Mm. And I wanted, you know, I asked my parents to be the foundation of that support network, to be there for them, to make sure that they were okay. And of course, you know, of course they agreed to that. They're not, they're not going to abandon anybody. But in my mind, that was a thought, you know, that in my mind, I needed to, I needed to take care of this. I needed to have that conversation with them. And they said, well, when, when do you want us to come see you? And I'm like, well, you can, you can come in tomorrow. I mean, we're coming later today. So they, uh, they let me go. and. Afterwards, you know, after the fact, talking to them, there were a lot of tears on their end after, after we hung up that phone. And Brittany called her mom. She called her, her sister. She called her brother. And actually, you know, her, her brother, my brother-in-law, he was probably the one that cried the most. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's very, very uh, open with his feelings. And, you know, he and I were pretty close. And he was just like, how could this happen? You know, you, he's, he's seen what Brittany and I have gone through. He's seen where we started and where we are now. And he's just, you know, how could, how could this happen to your family? After all you guys have done, after all you've been through, the kind of people you are, how could something bad happen to you? And my mind never went there. You know, things, things happen, and whether you're a good person or not, that doesn't determine what happens here. So things, things happen, you know, and, and this, you just have to deal with the reality of what's happening to you, what it happened. Well, I'm glad you, you kind of went that direction because my next real question was, because a lot of times when people get into this whole thing, we start bargaining. You know, God, if you get me through this, I will be the best person in the world. Or God, or blaming, God, why did you do this to me? I mean, how could you do this to me? I mean, then, of course, family and friends do the same thing. Uh, I know that you're a Christian. Where did, in this whole thing, did, did God come up at all? Did... Did he come into the conversation at all? Did you? He, he was a major part of the conversation. <laughs> For me, it was, my mind never went to bargaining. At, th- at this point, and kind of the way that I've always expressed my faith is always saying thank you. You know, thank you for what I've had. Thank you for the opportunities you've given me. Thank you for this life. Clearly, I'd like to continue living it. <laughs> if there's a purpose for me here, show me that if there's something more that I can do, 
show me what that what more I can do. But I never and, and, and one phrase that came up a lot whenever I would talk to people is they would say things like, you know, oh, well, sometimes, you know, sometimes God would test you. And I, you know, I can I can agree to that a little bit. But to me, it's not a test. No. You're not being you're not being tested. You're not being punished to see if you can take it. Your eyes are being open. You're being you're being changed. And that change is not always easy. Mm-hmm. And it may not always be understood when you're going through it, but it's there for a purpose. Amen. And yeah. that's it. You know, it's, you have to have, you have to have faith. Yes. And that's, that's the core tenet right there is having faith and not losing it. Yeah. My problem with that statement of God testing you is it then puts God in the aspect of, oh, well, God just gave me cancer. You know, he threw cancer at me to test me. It's kind of like that same. And I think people use it to, in a sense, to kind of uh, alleviate their feelings or they don't know what to say. For instance, a, a mother loses a baby. So the biggest the thing says people will comfort her by saying, you know, God just needed another little angel in heaven. As, and, and the problem with that is, is that now we're saying God decided, you know what, I'm just going to take this child and zap him up to heaven with me you know, stuff you, I'm going to do it my way, you know, stuff you that you got cancer, too bad, this is a test. And I think we attribute a lot of things to our heavenly father that us as parents would never do to our own children. And yet we call him a good father. And yet we attribute a lot of bad things to him. My statement, and I'm sure you believe the same thing is that things happen. Life is, you know, diseases in the world and things that happen, God can work in those things, but he doesn't give us, the, give us stuff. He doesn't decide, you know what? Yeah. Take a dose of cancer and that'll teach you. And, uh, you know, there's so many, this it's just sad what some Christians believe sometimes. And we wonder how can you believe you've got a good God, but a God that's just going to infect you with a lot of disease just because he wants to test you or punish you or any of those things. So that's a great, uh, uh jumping off point or ending point uh, for today's podcast I'm loving your, the way that you're saying some of these things. And I've already mined so many gems that I'm sure my listeners have as well. You know, in no matter what issues and problems they're going through, be it in the health and any other area that we can pull out of this conversation. So I'm really looking forward to next week in taking the story further because we're only at the beginning. We're only really, we've hit the valley floor, the, the valley of the shadow of death. But God is going to step in and there's going to be some great miracles that are going to be taking place soon still. So for those, thank you so much, Chad, for being with me again today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Warren. Thank you for listening to Vital Life Connection with Oren Rudolph. For more information on other available teaching, please visit our website at orenrudolph.com and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash orenrudolph.